Hi friend, do you want to experience more energy, vitality, and flow in your life? Well, be sure to go to findyourflow.com forward slash shop and check out the supplement section. We have all of your favorites back in stock. Vegan Vitality and Vegan Powder Protein are two of the favorites that go very quickly. So if you're into protein and vitality, be sure to check those out. And now on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Find Your Flow radio show podcast. I'm your host, Winston Wittis, and I'm here today with a very special episode. Today's episode is all about being a slacker and having success. I am driving in my car because that is how I podcast these days. And today's topic, slacker success, is all about doing what I'm doing right now in a sense, right? I'm not booking out time or even uh, going into my home studio, which is a pretty convenient place to be able to go to record a podcast. And some days I do, but other days, most days, I'm doing it on the go. Why? Because I'm a slacker? Kinda. Also because it works with my schedule, it works with my life. And that's kind of one of the big thoughts about slacker success. So being able to do things in a way that are maybe unorthodox. Maybe other people are looking at you or maybe you're looking at somebody else and thinking like, man, that person is such a slacker. How do they, how did they get that thing? How did they accomplish this? Or how did they meet that person? Or, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that this can play out. So I want to talk about a few of the main uh, big picture ideas around how to be a slacker and still get what you want. Now, if you've listened to the show for any period of time, you probably know that recent episodes I've talked a lot about hustle and grind and burning desire and all these things to inspire you and motivate you to take action and to move forward and to keep after it even when the going gets rough. And that's all still super important. And there are ways that tie into that that are maybe, like I said, a little unorthodox. So let's let's think of some other examples here. So um, one thing that is a big concept, and it's talked about a lot, especially if you're in entrepreneur circles or business owner circles, is this idea of automation and and delegating. And uh, I love automation. Automation is really cool. There's ways where it is really valuable and there's ways where sometimes people try to do it too early business owners in particular I'm referring to and probably um, other applications as well but let's kind of jump into this assumption that you are either a business owner or you want to be or you're an entrepreneur or you want to be and uh, maybe you got that side hustle or two or three and you're trying to just get some leverage somewhere right leverage is another buzzword so how do we do it? Where do we start applying this idea of automating things? And how can we use automation for leverage? 
So there's a lot of tools out there. I'm not going to cover probably any of them, but I'll probably throw some out there for you. Um, the idea being that one of the key key ideas with automation being that we really only want to focus on automating things that we do daily. And uh, that way, what does that mean? That means like if we if we're never doing something, or if um, we don't know that it maybe it doesn't work yet, we haven't proven it, and uh, or it's a one-off kind of situation. Oops, sorry. It's a one-off kind of uh, situation. Then there's no need to automate it a lot of times because there's it's not a part of our routine or our habits or our business habits, the, the habits for the business or processes or systems. So we don't want to invest in something that is, you know, a one-off, obviously, right? So let's think of some things that maybe, um, maybe we might. What kind of things are you doing that they're brainless? Now, with flow, and you know I love flow, part of the whole idea of getting into a flow state for us as people, as individuals, part of that is um, this idea that we want to get to where it's a brainless activity. We don't have to think about it, right? That's the flow state in a sense is that it becomes automatic for our bodies. So this idea of automation is extra exciting for me, at least, in the context of flow, right? If I'm trying to get into a flow state, I'm essentially trying to automate my body. I'm trying to put it into a pattern where the body is just on autopilot. It's doing the routine. It doesn't need to think about it. Maybe I'm just walking or running. You know, I know a lot of people out there like to run because you get into a nice flow state. You get into the zone. And so you're out there running or you're walking and you're just zoning out. The scenery's going by, maybe you're on the treadmill, listening to music or watching a show, and you're just zoning out. So you're getting into flow. So your body doesn't have to think about these things. It's doing the same repetitive pattern. Well, this could be the same for stuffing envelopes. Maybe you've got a mailing list of people, and you need to stuff hundreds of mailing uh, of mailers. And that this is something I used to do when I was building my real estate business as an agent. I had a mailing list is like 800 or something um, as I really got going with my monthly newsletter and uh, I was too just didn't have the funds left to um, to pay people to mail it plus yeah just I didn't have the funds and, uh, and it was something I started to enjoy once a month I would block out half the day and sit there and stuff envelopes sometimes I'd watch a movie but usually I would watch something but I would still be able to get in the zone because I had my envelope stuffing system down. I had the, you know, fold the paper on the left side, and then I had the envelope in the middle, and then I had the little um, thing. This is before I think the um, peel off sticky. Actually, I think eventually I did get those uh, envelopes where it has the peel off and it was automatically sticky. But before that, I had one of those little sponge things that was like a wet sponge so it could lick the envelopes for me. And so I had this, I was like my own little processing center. I would sit there, I'd grab the paper on the left, I'd fold it three times, I would stuff the envelope, I'd grab the sponge, I'd swipe it over the sticky part of the envelope, I'd close the envelope, I'd stick a sticker on it, put a mailing label on it, boom, I was done next and I did that for like four hours straight 
okay? And so that was a system I had that allowed me to chop wood and carry water, right? I knew it was very focused for my business and what I needed to do to hit my goals. And it was a flow activity because I organized it in such a way I didn't have to think about it. It became mindless. So there's that level of automation, right? Uh, in the sense that I was automating myself as a cog in this machine in this process. Now, I was also being, for those of you that are familiar with this kind of terminology and uh, mindset, I was also being a technician. I was working in my business doing stuff that I could have outsourced, right? I could have delegated that task to a college kid or to a soccer mom or something or a retiree who just wanted some extra money. And I could have gained much more leverage by doing that because that extra four hours a day, heck, I, I was doing it on you know, Fridays or sometimes on the weekend. And I could have spent spent that time with my wife, or I could have spent that time, um, you know, prospecting, doing more active outbound marketing. So, and meanwhile, it still would have been getting done. It still would have been going out. So I would have had much more leverage in that case. But that's kind of uh, an idea of automation. One, automating myself, and then two, being able to delegate or outsource that to somebody else and gaining more leverage. Now. Automation can work in other ways. So let's say that, um, uh, uh, okay, so back in the day, there used to be, uh, <laughs> there used to be a uh, online platform called MySpace. It's, it's still out there, I believe, but not many people use it these days. But it is a social media platform. And if you wanted to, build a brand, let's say. Maybe you're an artist and you want to uh, get your music out there. Maybe you're an author and you want to promote your book. Maybe you're a real estate agent and you want to promote your services or your doctor or a plumber or whatever, right? You want to grow your sphere of influence so that more people know about you, your product, your service, and you could potentially earn more business. So you could manually go on there and reach out to people and introduce yourself and spend all this time and energy, which a lot of people did and still do on, on newer platforms. Or you could, for some small amount of money, buy a robot that would do that for you on autopilot. So that's a level of automation as well, right? Go in there, you get this robot, and you turn it on, you set the parameters, you hit go and then it starts working for you automatically so you can now go back to focusing on other pieces of your business that actually require your attention or maybe you don't maybe that's your opportunity to go take a break so you've got this level of automation now or maybe that's just one level of automation and now you're boom also doing this on some other network or on multiple networks and so you're gaining all your automating more and more systems in your business. And really, when we talk about growing a business, building a business, that is a large part of what we're trying to do is automate and create these processes where we can plug in uh, another person, perhaps, if we're talking about a business system, right? McDonald's is always a go-to example. So we got McDonald's, and this, the business systems and processes are so dialed in that a beeper goes off, you know, right when the fries need to be pulled out, another beeper when the fry, when the uh, burgers need to be flipped, all these processes that at some point the Kroc brothers had to figure out, uh, or the McDonald's brothers, sorry, 
McDonald's brothers had to figure out the timing and perfect flow of all these systems. And then the systems were so good and so tight that you could plug in some new person, some kid off, you know, that doesn't have any prior job experience, plug them right into this system and very quickly have them running these systems and processes. And so you, they instantly got this leverage, right? They've outsourced it. They've automated it largely. And uh, the people that can go in it, now they're the technicians actually working in that job. And the business owners can kind of level up in a sense, right? They don't need to be there flipping the burgers and pulling out the fries because they have a person in there who can now easily and effortlessly run those systems. Now, first, the person being trained to know which beeper does which thing, there's a training process, right? There's a bit of a learning curve. But because these systems are so well thought out and dialed in, that learning curve is very short. And very quickly, I would guess, and having worked in fast food uh, as pretty much my first job other than working for my dad, I was able to get into flow states while we'd be making food or while I was doing drive through or managing the, the uh, you know, different processes, right? Because you just know the systems, you know, this is going to beep then, you turn around and this thing's here and you fill the soda and you know how long that's going to take and you check the ringer and you know what the people are ordering and how much they get back and all these different levels of automation that start to happen for the person themselves as they get into that flow state within the bigger systems, the bigger processes that have already been laid out for them. So it's kind of meta, kind of, um, uh, you know, whatever. I don't know what that is. That's just the way I, I look at it is you've got this level of automation over yourself, which is, is the flow state. And then you've got the level of automation where you are uh, building some kind of process or system and potentially outsourcing that to a robot or to another person. And that gives you leverage and you can outsource that to get, um, you can, it gives you automation and it gives you leverage as you are able to outsource that. All right, perfect. So that's the uh, automation element. That is the leverage element. Now let's talk about the slacker element. So as slackers, sometimes we don't want to do things that are lame probably never want to do things that are lame, whether we're a slacker or a go-getter, right? So this idea of being a slacker and still having success is really, in my opinion, it kind of boils down to the Pareto Principle. And if you're unfamiliar with the Pareto Principle, it's also known as the 80-20 rule. And the 80-20 rule, it basically was discovered by somebody named, last name Pareto, and he was growing tomatoes, I believe it was, or snap peas, and oh, that's the Pomodoro method, something different, something, no, no, getting the two mixed up, both farming guys. <laughs> so the prayer principle, uh, this idea that 20% of the things you do, actually 80% of the things that you do will give you 20% of your results, and 20% of the things you do will give you 80% of your results. And so, and this shows up all over the place in very different and widespread fields. So I think uh, for the farming example, some of the trees or some of the certain kind of the crops were giving 80% of the yield and 20% of them 
you know, 80% of them were giving 20% of the yield, 20% of them were able to do 80%. So he started being able to splice the different plants together to get the kind of results that he was wanting. And I'm totally probably making that up. So if you know the story, <laughs> well, just just roll with me, okay? Just pretend that, that I know what I'm talking about. So this shows up in a lot of things and in a lot of ways. So in real estate, there's a uh, a lot of people getting in, in, you know, I talk a lot about real estate. I love real estate. I've been in the industry a long time. Agents. A lot of people get into the business to be a real estate agent. There's a fairly low bar uh, to entry. You know, you have to take a test, but it's not a super, you know, it's not rocket science. So most people with some work can get it. And it's not too, too expensive. It's not like going to college, but there is a little bit of an investment. So it's not like a free, um, you know, free of barriers. There is a there is a bar there, but it's it's a relatively low bar. It's not like getting your PhD. Right, it's not like even going to. Yeah, it's maybe comparable to doing something like a um, yoga certification, perhaps, where you've got to do a certain number of hours and you've got to take maybe a test or you got to, you know, prove your skills. So it's it's not impossible, and not that getting a PhD is impossible, but something like that or getting, uh, you know, passing the bar exam for lawyers, that's going to be years of this to get your license before you can practice, right? So that's, I guess, kind of where I'm drawing the line. So let's say that you are working on this kind of thing, uh, some kind of certification. Oh, okay. Agents, right? There's this idea that, hey, if I just get my real estate license, I'm going to be rich. Everybody's got their license. You know, you just do a deal uh, and you're, you're into the money. There's a lot of people that believe that. And it's, is simply not true. But there's all sorts of stats that seem to kind of make it true. They're super misleading. So I'll give you an example. Um, average agent, and I, I'm going to just make up these numbers because I don't remember, but you can look it up. How much does the average agent, real estate agent make? Oh, the average real estate agent makes, you know, 40000 or 50000 bucks. Wow, that's great. You know, I'd love to make that kind of money. And uh, so I'm going to get, an, and what if I'm even a little bit better than the average agent? I'm going to make even more than that. Yeah. And that's what everybody kind of thinks going into it, right? Like, oh, there's so much money. Oh, even if I'm just average, I'm going to make 40 or 50 grand. Okay. Well, average doesn't mean it, it, there's, it's kind of misleading because you may think that, you know, there's a hundred agents in the room. And uh, each one of them, uh, on average, is making close to 40 or 50 grand, right? That's what it sounds like we're talking about. But that is not what we're talking about. What we're actually saying is uh, 20 of these agents out of 100, or actually 80 of these agents out of 100, 80 of them are making, let's say there's uh, $1,000 for easy math. Now I'm going to destroy the math here. This is going to be really embarrassing. Um Let's say $100 for even easier math, which I'm still going to butcher. $100, and uh, you know the the way the story, the way the statistics sounds is, hey, out of 100 agents, on average, they're each going to make, uh, you know, 40 bucks, 50 bucks. That's how much the average agent's going to make. And you're like, well, gosh, that sounds pretty good. I like it. But that's not really the case. Because if we look at this 100 agents, 80 of them are only actually making about 10 to 20 bucks. Oh, that's not so good. So there's actually a huge... Somebody's honking for no reason. I don't get it. 
Oh, these guys are talking, sorry. All right, so approximately 80% of the agents there are only making 10 to 20 bucks. That's not that much, right? And that's the majority of them. But then you got the top 10 to 20% of agents, which is 10 to 20 in this case, and they're making each about 80 bucks. What? They're making about 80 to 90 dollars on each transaction in this case, right? Or 80 to 90 thousand dollars a year. The uh, rest of the 80 percent of them are all making about 10 to 20 thousand a year in this example. So the average, on average, they're each making about 40 to 50 bucks. Well, that's not that. Does that sound? Does that make sense to you? Are you still going to go in there thinking that you're going to make on average about 40 50? No, because you're just one agent. You're not the average of the agents. You're either going to be in the bottom 80% making only 10 to 20 bucks or 10 to 20 grand a year. And then the top agents, if you are managed to make your way into the top 20%, now you're making some dough. Right now you're doing okay. So those numbers are very misleading. And that's one thing that used to drive me crazy because it throws off it's just a very it, it could be that number can be used to bring people into this industry and they have these highly unrealistic expectations and it's supported by the data right you could show them the numbers hey right here we got the stats boom that's true on average every agent makes this much or no it on average agents make this much um, so again not completely true but this principle of the 80 20 rule is so important because this plays out in a lot of areas so I'll give you another example of how this relates to being a slacker. So, and uh, let's say you are a um, you're a blogger. You want to write a blog, a personal blog maybe, or a sports blog, or some kind of blog for fun because you have this this knowledge that nobody else has and that you want to be able to share. So, there's a lot of different things you could do to promote yourself as a blogger, right? You want to get your blog out there and uh, you're sharing it with the world, you could share it on Craigslist or Facebook, or you could run paid ads, you could um, go door to door knocking and telling people about your, your blog, you could take out an ad in the local newspaper to tell people about your blog, you could um, go on TV and you know pay for advertising on TV to promote your blog, you could go on the radio, there's so many different ways that you could go about promoting your blog. Where to start? Where should we start? Well, gosh, there's just so many things. And some people won't start. Some people never get past that part because it's just too darn intimidating. Ah, there's so many things to do. Where do I even start, right? It's overwhelming for a lot of people. And so they stop right there before they even start. Then other people actually do start blogging. And maybe you're blogging and you've got all this great content, but nobody's coming to your blog. So again, you're like, okay, well, now I am blogging, but I have all these all these ways to go. How do I, what's the best way? And so maybe you're the go-getter and you're just, you know, you got the uh, the hare, right? The the hare and the tortoise. And the hare's out there just running around. I'm going to just do everything. I'm going to put it in the newspaper. I'm going to put it in the TV. I'm going to put it on, uh, you know, this place and that place and do direct mail for it and door knock and this and that. Now, that's going to be awesome. This person's going to gather, hopefully they're tracking their results and they're getting all sorts of data that they can actually start to tell what's working, what's not. A lot of people, a lot of business owners, especially when they're newer, 
aren't always good about tracking, right? Because they're just trying to do so many things to stay afloat that they don't always pay attention to what, where the results are coming from. They're just trying to keep it all going. And there's a very famous joke, um, and I believe it was it was either Mark Twain or um, Barnum, Barlam, Barnum and Bailey's Circus, I think. Um, I, I can't quite remember. But the joke was kind of like basically, I know my advertising's working. I just don't know which parts. It, and it was kind of like the, the gist of it, right? So it's like he knew that he's advertising and he knew that he's getting customers, but he doesn't know which of his ads are working and which ones aren't. So he can't stop either one because if he does, he's going to lose his customers, right, and go out of business. So um, so that w is a problem for a lot of business owners. They don't know where exactly their customers are coming from. They don't have a proven system, or maybe they do. They just don't know what that system is. They haven't been able to identify it specifically and be able to then focus in on it. And this idea of the slacker success and the 80-20 rule is that if we're tracking our results and being smart and we're testing everything in a methodical way, then eventually we figure out, hey, you know what? The radio, this isn't working for my blog. The newspaper, that's also not working. Door knocking, not working. I mean, maybe I'm getting some results. Maybe I'm adding some people, but it's very slow. Whereas when I just focus in on Facebook ads, and I'm just totally making this up, guys, uh, or, and uh, you know, Craigslist, these two things outperform all the other eight things that I was doing um, just doing these two things. So I could keep spending my time and money and energy doing the door knocking and the, you know, the this and the that and all these other things. Or since I'm getting 80% of my results from just doing the uh, Facebook piece and this other thing, I'm going to cut out all those other things and just use that 80% of my time I was using on that to go do, to either double down on these two things that are working and or use that time to be doing something else, right? So it's not that I'm lazy, I'm just being very strategic, okay? And that's kind of what slacker success is all about, is being super strategic. Uh, there's a great um, interview, but Tim Ferriss, author of The 4-Hour four four hour Work Week, author of The 4-Hour Body, The 4-Hour, you know, that's his brand, that he's got 4-Hour things that he does. And it's really about cutting away all the extra BS and the 80% of things that only give you 20% of results and getting clear about what is that 20% of things. And the big domino, this idea that there's one big thing that if he does it, it will knock out all the rest of the things and or make everything else less important. Because by doing this one thing, it knocks down all these other dominoes as well. So he said in this, uh, I think it was, I, I read it on his blog or somewhere, he was talking about if if you were to watch him at work, it was like, okay, well, you know, what would we learn if we watched you at a day of work? He's like, honestly, it'd be, you'd be super bored. I, I look like I'm not doing anything, just like sitting around, drinking tea or drinking coffee, and, uh, you know, maybe I'm meditating, maybe I'm, like, reading a book, and just kind of not, <laughs> not looking super productive, maybe. Like, he's just kind of slacking off, like he's laying around. It's like, but what I'm really doing is just thinking about what's that one thing that I should, that I need to do that's going to knock down all these other dominoes, that one big domino that's going to knock down all the others. And that's what he's spending a lot of his time on is just getting clear on what that thing is so he can attack it full force, knock down that domino and watch all the other things disappear or be knocked down as well. So that is 
kind of the concept here with this slacker success is getting clear about what is the the action, the one thing that is going to give us the biggest bang for our buck in terms of our time and energy and money investments and be able to give us the biggest return on those. So I hope you have enjoyed this kind of diving into the slacker success concept. And it's something that I'm excited about because because it's there's really something to it. I think it's really fun. It's kind of just a fun, neat thing. But it's also something that I think a lot of us can relate to because, you know, we have other things in life maybe going on. Maybe we have other hobbies or passions or responsibilities, kids, jobs, household, whatever, things that we have to do. And then we have things that we want to do. And sometimes the things that we have to do take away from the things that we want to do. And so how could we have both, right? Where is that line where we're we're doing the things that we need to do, but we're doing them in such a way that we're getting it done super efficiently and effectively, right? And not doing a whole bunch of extra busy work just to to get it done. Now, as I'm saying this, I also want to point out that I, I realize sometimes, you know, we have a day job, right? Maybe you have a day job and you're like, well, Winston, my day job is busy work. <laughs> or I have to do this for school. Maybe you're a student and you're like, I have to do all these general education courses or you're in high school and you just have all these, you know, just they give you freaking busy work, which I understand is frustrating. Uh, but some of it is important. Let's just assume it's all important. We can't just assume it's all important because we know it's not all important. Some of it is just straight up busy work, friends, and it's frustrating. I, I feel your pain if you're going through that, the busy work. And so, um, but maybe you're like I was and you just didn't do much of it because you just are against it at the core of your being. And you're like, hey, I'll take a B or a C because I'm not going to put myself through this. So, um, so there's that idea. I'm not encouraging you to do that, by the way. I'm just pointing out that that might be something that you may or may not do. But the idea being that if you knew that, hey, there's this project at the end of the year, and that's responsible for 80% of my grade, and then all this busy work throughout the year is responsible for only 20% of my grade. Well, if you know that, now you can maybe you want to spend your time differently. So let's run with this example. Okay, you're a student. And you know the final exam is worth 80% of your grade and the other 80% of the work you're doing all year is worth only 20% of your grade. Now, the overachievers are going to probably do it all, right? They're going to crush all the assignments. They're going to crush the final score, the final uh, exam. And that's cool. And then us slackers are probably not going to do that because why the heck am I going to waste all this time and energy all year doing all this work that's worth only 20% of my grade, right? Aren't there other more fun things you could be doing? Surfing, playing music, dancing, going out with friends, not going out with friends, hanging inside by yourself, watching Netflix, chilling, all these things that you could be doing other than those assignments because you know, hey, yeah, they're good, but they're only incrementally good for my grade. 
You know, if maybe if you're scared about the final exam, then yeah, you better, then you're going to need that 20%, right? But if you're relatively confident that you could get a B on the exam and that's going to get enough that even if you did none of the other busy work throughout the year, you'd still come through the class with the C and you're okay with that. Well, gosh, you just saved yourself a whole year's worth of busy work, right? That's how powerful this is when you start to get the idea and see where can you find those little leverage points and where's the 80-20 apply in your specific situation. So the 80-20 rule, big deal, especially when we're talking about slacker success is which things are going to give you the real results and which things aren't. And I want to kind of wrap this up by saying this. Um, especially because, again, you know, I deal with a lot of business owners. I deal with I, hundreds of them, right? I speak with small business owners all day and entrepreneurs. And one of the big things, one of the big challenges, I think, when you're new at something is not being able to recognize that 80-20. Which of these things that I'm doing are busy activities, busy work, and which of these things are actually adding to my bottom line? And the sooner you can figure that out, the better, right? Because there are people that will spend their whole time building their business doing busy work, thinking that they're doing actual productivity, and they're not. And you can only do that for so long before the money side catches up, right? Maybe you were able to put stuff on credit. Maybe you got a business loan. Maybe you got people to finance your business. You got investors. At some point, that money has to come flowing back to you right into the business and if you're too spending too much of your time doing the busy work and not enough of the work that's going to actually get you the money then you'll be out of business before you know it and that's what happens to 80 percent of businesses in the first five years they go out of business right why is that well by and large in my personal or my professional experience um, there's a lot of reasons, you know, there's a lot of reasons, so I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I kind of am, I guess, for the, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to find those 20% of reasons, or, uh, you know, the the 80-20 of why people go out of business, and I'd say one of the big ones is that people spend their time as business owners doing the wrong things, right? There's admin stuff needs to be done, things like paying taxes, setting up your LLC, or, um, you know, getting your infrastructure in place, like find your flow, uh, you know, I've been talking a lot in recent podcasts about all the infrastructure I'm building. Why? Because it's a freaking ton of it. And it's taken me years to get all the pieces and tools and be able to afford this and keep that going while I'm building this other part of it. And it's this massive, massive thing. But I am fortunate in the sense that I have experience building businesses. And I know what I'm what I'm doing, I guess, in a sense, right? And what it, what I want to do and what it will be able to do in the near future. So I'm I have a little bit more of a sense of how to budget my time and money for it, right? Because I've been through that cycle enough times that I, I know. For a newer business owner, if they're caught in this stage for two, and even me, I can't do this forever, right? I don't want to just be dumping money into this thing forever. But I know that when I start promoting it, when I do some of these things that I'm getting close, then the money is going to flow back in, right? And that, so that's why this is an investment for me. I'm investing my time and money, but I and I know that it will come back to me, uh, you know, many times over. So, for you, what is the thing that is the thing that actually gives you results? What are those specific things that, if you had to do just one thing out of all the things that 
um, that you do in a day, what would it be to give you the most results, to give you the best chance of getting success for what you're trying to do? That's what I want you to focus on. That's what slackers do sometimes uh, even without thinking. Sometimes they don't do anything. So we, we don't want to be total slackers, right? We want to be productive slackers. We want to have success. We want to crush it. We want to hit our goals. And we want to enjoy life while we're doing it. So that's the slacker success. All right, guys. So um, if you're interested in having more success as a slacker, then go to the show notes for this episode, Slacker Success, and there will be a special discounted rate just for the podcast listeners and um, my special slacker friends. So go to www.findyourflow.com forward slash podcast and then search slacker or slacker success. It'll be there. Get it. Pick it up. Let me know what you think. I want to help you succeed and be awesome at what you're doing, your side hustle, your full-time hustle, building your business, building your dreams. Make it happen, friend. And until next time, be flowing. Hey, thanks for listening, friend. By the way, do you like essential oils? Me too. Did you know you can go to findyourflow.com forward slash shop and pick up some essential oils? Yeah, get them while they're going. And until next time, friend, be flowing.